Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Back in uh, around 2007, I had been following the early developments of uh, a community uh, municipal-owned broadband network uh, in Loma Linda, California. And at that time, there was lots of positive energy going on and lots of positive uh, promise for the network. And then recently, I read a, a blog post that was about uh, Loma Linda that gave a you know, an okay review, but it seemed like there wasn't quite uh, you know, that positive uplift kind of thing that I remembered. So I decided to check back with the city and see where things have gone. And in reality, the, the Loma Linda Network has turned in an awesome performance of economic development, improved health care delivery, uh, better run uh, or, uh, city government uh, communication infrastructure, just a whole slew of positives. And I felt that it was really um, necessary <clears throat> to bring uh, this city to the attention of our listeners uh, because we often hear, you know, stories, partial stories about why there's, there are problems with city-owned networks. And I figure, you know, we need to talk to a city that's really done a great job so helping us to, to go over the, you know, where Loma Linda is and where it's going and why the network has been so great for them, I've invited the assistant city manager, Conrad Balowicz, to be our guest today. And Conrad, welcome, uh, welcome to the show. Craig? So, Thank you, Craig. Sure, sure. Let's, um, let's jump right in. Let's start with, you know, one of the biggest... Um, I don't know, aspects of the Loma Linda story that I feel, you know, is a topic that needs more attention is, you know, we all know that broadband, fast internet speed will impact uh, healthcare services and telemedicine and so forth, but I'm not sure people have drawn the line between that and economic development. So let's start by drawing that line. You guys have done some interesting stuff. Tell us the healthcare story in, in Loma Linda and how broadband has impacted that? Well, Loma Linda is a, a relatively small city. We're about 30,000 people, and um, our company, we're a company town that focuses on healthcare. There's uh, five hospitals and uh, about one critical care hospital bed for every four houses in the city. Um, so that's that's kind of our bread and butter, and one of the real challenges in healthcare is you know moving data and managing cost. So with uh, you know the municipal network, what we're able to do is extend our fiber into essentially every healthcare institution, um, every commercial space, and um, you know a, a fairly substantial percentage of the new homes that were built in the last uh, 10 years and um, kind of bring that all onto one uh, one big network where that, that information and that, that um, data can move from point to point rather than moving healthcare workers or patients, we can move that data and make it uh, more effective for everybody. Mm-hmm. 
And, and how does that translate into changes that then translate into various types of economic uh, outcomes? Well, you know, one, one of the big ones is, um, you know, we're able to uh, uh, attract physicians' offices that, uh, you know, we're, this is kind of the Rodeo Drive address for healthcare in Southern California. You want to be in Loma Linda, um, mm-hmm. which brings in the need for a lot of, you know, a lot more hospitality than most cities have, restaurants, um, you know, type of things that take care of patients and the, and the workers that, that work in that field. Um, the other one is is we're starting to attract uh, hotels. We've got a Holiday Inn going in in, uh, in town with the concept that um, kind of a, a step down from the, the hospital. So there's a segment of patients that don't really need to be in the hospital but still need some level of monitoring or some level of checking back in. And we can do that remotely from a, a hotel room, so it's much more comfortable to hang out at the pool in a hotel than to stay in a hospital and still get that same level of monitoring. Uh, the other kind of unique things we're doing is, is Loma Linda is one of the was the original is one of only a handful of proton therapy centers in the world, and um, so there's people that come from all over the world for treatment. And being able to coordinate that treatment and provide the hospitality for those those patients via the network is you know vital for the success of that uh, that program here in the city. Mm-hmm. So um, the other, sorry, go ahead. Uh, the other one, you know, we have uh, one of the largest veterans hospitals in the country, and um, rather than you know, the, the veterans are moving shifting more and more to outpatient services. And rather than expand the hospital, what we've been able to do is move non-patient care um, functions into kind of the business office park type places, um, which you know, in- increases the, the occupancy there and brings workers to that point, but also frees up that hospital space, um, you know, that high dollar square footage for what it's really meant for is patient care. Okay. So in, in some respects, there are, I'm, I'm getting this right, there are, by virtue of the fact that you have so many hospitals and the hospitals have a great reputation and you have improved their overall level of services by the use of broadband, this brings people uh, in, into town, which then impacts the hospitality business probably more that's, than that's- many cities. That's correct. You know, we're bringing we're bringing these people in. They need a place to eat, to sleep, to stay, and conversely, we're also um, not bringing in some people that don't need to be in town, um, so they they can get some remote services or get those services kind of at the fringe of town. And and so what we're seeing is um, a reduction in traffic and a reduction in kind of the impact of the medical center in in the core of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the Veterans Hospital brings in uh, about eighty thousand outpatients a month, and being able to shift some of those guys, you know, out of the hospital and into a, a different setting or into a different part of town, alleviates some of those traffic impacts associated with that. Right. Okay. Now, that that makes a lot of sense. Now, at the time that that you were um, building this network, because you have been with this program. Pretty much from the beginning, 
was the healthcare were the healthcare you know impacts or the improvement of healthcare's impact on economic development was that foreseen or was that something of a surprise? Um, that was actually a, a, a shift in the program. This, this was originally envisioned as a fiber to the home program. Um, you know, the program was started sometime in late 2006 and was up running fairly well by 2007. And then, you know, 2008, 2009, uh, the housing industry pretty much cratered. And um, you know, the Inland Empire, where the region that we're in, was you know ground zero of that uh, that cratering. You know, at one point, uh, uh, one in eight houses was in foreclosure. So, the the ability to extend you know to new construction was absolutely non-existent. Um, we had a network that was almost built out as far as the backbone, and then we had nothing to you know nothing to put on it because nobody was building new houses to come on. So we really looked around and said, how are we going to serve the community? And, and the, you know, the easy answer was, we do medicine. Medicine needs data, so we're, we're going to bring these, these facilities up onto the network. Mm -hmm. So it was a, you know, an almost an accidental uh, step for us. Mm -hmm. Had the economy not gone bad, we'd, we'd still be chasing the... You know the, the residential component. Okay, so it required you know, a, a shift in order to survive, in, in some respect. That, d definitely, you know, and mm -hmm. we really looked at it and said we're, we're we're in the service business. We're not in the broadband business. So our our role is to provide, you know, that that IT service. Broadband is a portion of it, but um, we you know we also lease dark fiber. We lease conduit. Um, we lease rack space in our data center for businesses that need that. So it's a it's an end to end IT service, not just the the the, the broadband niche for us. Mm -hmm. So now, if you were to give advice to you know your colleagues, your counterparts in other uh, communities, how would you advise them to actually prepare for? Um, you know the the, the, the healthcare and, and the medical community becoming a proactive, almost a, preact, a proactive economic engine. Um, in the healthcare component, um, you know, because of HIPAA rules, there really needs to be some groundwork laid to be able to isolate that that patient record information from the rest of the traffic. So big parts of the healthcare component are done on, on dark fiber, least fiber um, segments. And um, as as this goes into design, as we're thinking, you know, our data center and the layout and the topology of the network really needs to look at how do we how do we stay HIPAA compliant throughout the, throughout this, which is something that most you know, municipal networks or corporate networks really don't look at in that in that part. Mm -hmm. um, and then the the other one is we've you know we anytime we do anything we uh, kind of keep extending. If we dig up the street, we put in a piece of pipe, and so there's this organic growth to be able to reach these facilities and expand it. Mm -hmm. Kind of 
step by step rather than in, in big chunks. So, so partial uh, partial plan growth then appears to be the watchword. Um, part yes, you know, kind of a like I said, we're anytime we pave a street, we put in a piece of conduit. Anytime we lay a water line, we put in a piece of conduit. And over the last five or six years, those little stub pieces are starting to tie together to give us the ability to extend into areas that we don't normally go to. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other one, just as uh, you know, not even healthcare, but as far as the municipal network, um, most or the cities I run across, they treat this as an IT project. This is not an IT project. This is a public works <laughs> project. Um, you know, there's IT guys that are an integral portion of making it work and of managing it. But you know, public works guys, they, they know how to dig ditches and they know how to bury pipe. Mm-hmm. And um, so, from a municipal standpoint, it requires a buy-in from that that group to um, to be successful. And, you know, we've been very fortunate that the two groups um, the, the two groups that work together. Mm-hmm. We we literally have our landscape irrigation guys are the ones that do our um, conduit work because they're used to burying pipe. Interesting, interesting. So now, in um, do you track much of what happens within the hospitals? I mean, like, so telemedicine is like the watchword of the day. Everybody, you know, talks about it and what it can do and so forth. And, in fact, I'm working on a, a pilot project for a community that includes a um, a health center and a senior retirement slash, you know, medical services uh, facility, community, what have you. And um, it seems like it's a viable exercise to keep track of what these hospitals are doing internally with telemedicine that is facilitated by broadband because that becomes a leverage for which you can then sell additional services. Is that a, a fair you know, assessment of, you know, a decent strategy? Um, we, we do much more than track. Um, the, the, our, we call it the Connected Community Program, and the governing board for this program is the, the CIOs or IT directors from each institution. So on a monthly basis, we sit down with essentially the the guys that make these policy decisions from the university, the medical centers, um, the, the larger clinics, and um, you know, buy a couple dozen sandwiches, and it really is a monthly roundtable with everybody that's making these decisions. So before we, you know, before we commit to anything, we know that there's a need from whichever institution, and that's the other way that we've really been able to build the cooperation between the institutions, um, you know, essentially these hospitals compete against each other for patients and services, and to kind of drop that comp- competitive barrier to um, you know to leverage this asset has been um, you know has been one of the, the big accomplishments in the community. Mm-hmm. And and how has been the uh, the uptake in terms of community support. Uh, one of the discussions that comes in a lot of circles, you know, broadband circles and so forth, is that there has to be 
well, you are best served as a, you know, the, the operator of the network or the, pro, you know, the driving force behind the project. You are best served to be constantly uh, generating, garnering, however you do it, support from within the, the community folks. Um, how has that part gone uh, in terms of getting them engaged and feeling ownership and caring about the particular direction that, that, that happens with this network, say, as it pertains to, you know, the healthcare facilities? Um, well, you know, it comes back to being a healthcare town. A, a very, a very large percentage of our population lives and works in town, so they understand the need for this. So we've, from the resident's side and the citizen side, has been very supportive because, you know, it's, we've got radiologists that have fiber to the home that are running MRIs out of their, you know, their, their den. Um, so they understand the value and the need for this. Mm -hmm. So it didn't take too much. And, um, you know, it, this is still a, a university research city as well. So they're under, they understand taking these steps that maybe not have a, a, you know, a real visible return on the investment or a real... Um, tangible result uh, just on the basis of seeing you know what can we do and how can we prove what we're doing um, from a political standpoint we've had you know resounding support from our city council um, you know the, the other side of that is four of those guys name starts with doctor so they, <laughs> you know, they, they, they understand what we're trying to do and the implications of a success or failure in, in that realm. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's definitely a good uh, a good plus. Are there any I don't know specific activities or proactive steps that you take to keep the the community at large engaged with what's going on uh, with the network? Again, as you're you know expanding services, offering new services, and so forth. Um, as as we reach that segment, whatever that segment may be, we really you know try to build that relationship. We were you know fortunate that it's a small town. We still that although we're in the you know the shadow of the L.A. sprawl, um, you know we're we're still a small city mentality. So those relationships are are important to us. You know we have a a, a fairly large you know tilt up commercial office complex. And before we built in that area, we spent a year working with the leasing agents, the real estate guys, the owners, um, you know, looking at their occupancy, looking at the type of businesses they're trying to attract, looking at you know, their projected needs, and then doing our design and build to meet that facility. So um, you know, in, in those, those pieces, as we kind of take a bite off, we really look at it so that we're not um, putting something out there that, that isn't going to match the need and that we match uh, our customers' expectations with what we're able to deliver as well. Mm -hmm. Now, yesterday, you and I spoke for a little bit about uh, you know, an overview of what has been going on in, in Loma Linda. Besides the uh, impact on the you know, delivery of health care services, has there been a, I don't know, technology put into place or efforts put into place to <clears throat> use broadband on the customer side or the patient side 
particularly at home, you know, people who, who may want to access health care from home, has there been much work to facilitate the access of health care services by the general population? Um, there's been some. And, you know, our building code requires uh, fiber to the home and structured cabling and all, all new construction. So, um, you know, in those, and part of that requirement is, you know, Wi-Fi access in the home. So the infrastructure is in place that somebody that's at the at the home and requires monitoring or requires some type of um, telemedicine that that's there, but we really haven't reached to the you know to uh, to integrate it with applications or hardware uh, at that level. Mm-hmm. Do you think that will come down the pike at some point? Um, I don't. Maybe, maybe. What we're what we're seeing is. Most of our residents are, you know, are employees of the facility, not patients of the facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we'll see as that changes. You know, one of the um, the pilot programs that we did uh, it was actually I think it was a pilot program for either DARPA or NASA. I forget which one. Where um, every traffic signal got a fiber connection and a Wi-Fi connection. So when the paramedics transport somebody, they can be in constant, outside of radio contact, they can be in constant telemetry, um, you know, via via broadband, you know, Wi-Fi connection, back to the the, the hospital they're transporting to, you know, for patient for um, uh, beyond just cardiac monitoring, vital signs and and oxygen concentration, those types of things. So in that respect, you know, we really have. Um, improve the level of care from the field to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think, uh, let me think for a second, Austin, Corpus Christi, Texas, actually was, uh, got some publicity back in, I don't know, 06, 07, for, you know, transforming how emergency medical care was uh, delivered using a Wi-Fi canopy, if you will, over, uh, over the city how how was it putting that part of the uh, infrastructure in place? You know, there's so much talk about, you know, the fiber and building the fiber, trenching for fiber, on and on and on. But uh, was the, the Wi-Fi, I don't know, canopy or the Wi-Fi that's facilitating emergency services, was that already in place or did you have to add that on? And, and, and you know, what are maybe have been some of the other impacts of in, uh, introducing that technology to the, to the fiber scene? Well, we we added it on. What we ended up doing was uh, you know, they, they had the grant to uh, to look at that, and when we talked to the fire guys, we ended up having fiber at every, you know, within 20 feet of every traffic signal. So it was relatively easy to extend to those, you know, the traffic signals and put in, um, you know, put in Wi-Fi for them to work. Um, you know, part of the other piece is then once we have fiber to the traffic signals, we can synchronize the, the signals for, uh, you know, smoother traffic flow. We're Southern California traffic's always an issue here. Um, you know, the guys that do the, the water meter reading, they do the, the remote reads, and then they drive to the nearest traffic signal and download their, their water meter information. Um, if there's a traffic collision or a fire, the emergency services have access um, to, you know, Wi-Fi 
uh, at the at the signal cabinet, both uh, you know, with Wi-Fi and the ability to plug in, and you know, in, a wired connection into the router at each cabinet. So, and and as we kind of progressed, we ended up bringing up a. Uh, water services, so you know the pumps and the sewer lift stations and all these kind of unglamorous pieces that it takes to run a city kind of kind of came with us. So at this point, there's very few, if any, city services that are not um, you know integrally meshed into the the network. Um, it, it becomes one of those things that. The very first discussion when we do something is how do we, you know, how do we leverage this network to the city service? Mm -hmm. Well, this is probably a good time to, to segue into the discussion also that we had uh, yesterday, where you said that the city, pretty much at this point in time, wouldn't really be able to operate the same way without that network. And I like to get a deeper understanding of what. You know what you mean by that? How how has this become so? I don't know, ingrained in or woven into the, the city government fabric. Well, it was it was one of those things that was a uh, an economic necessity. You know, as the as housing prices plummeted in the area, um, you know, property taxes went with it, and that's that's a huge segment of the city's revenue stream. So we had to figure out how to do more with with less, and in that process, you know, we we did look at you know the water meters and um, you know fire responses and access and um, you know every bit of the city service down to um, being able to manage when we pump water. Um, you know, the pumps run at night, not during the day, because electricity is cheaper. And with the fiber network, we can manage pump capacities and storage reservoir levels and water usage levels in real time to manage that that electricity cost for something as simple as pumping water. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it, you know it runs it runs across the board to every city service. Um, uh, we were able to cut uh, reduce the police the our police force by one officer um, every 24-hour period and improve response times because uh, the police force, typically they had to leave town to write their reports at a central station outside the city. Uh, with fiber, we were able to bring that report writing and, and all their um, you know, secure information that they have to have by you know the, the police standards, and they're not leaving town then to book people and write reports and do those. So we actually have, by reducing the officer, have more guys in town and leverage the fiber the fiber network to do that. Mm -hmm. Is that? Um, I guess you didn't have much choice in the situation, but uh, <clears throat> what kind of planning exercise goes on when you kind of wake up one day and realize that um, you've got shortfalls happening, the economy doesn't look like it's going to reverse itself quickly, uh, we, we have to make these, these changes. Um, do you like send around a directive and ask everybody how they could use broadband to uh, be more effective or to cut overhead? 
or is there some like a master planner that comes in or you know the city planning department that comes in how do you how do you um i guess manage that transition rather than to be totally at the mercy of that kind of a transition um you know that it's part of the advantage of being a small we have two advantages in that we're a small city as far as staffing um and the the senior staff all come from the private sector so we're you know we're not career government employees we're used to looking at a balance sheet on a regular you know be outside of the twice a year when you look at your budget and we look at balance sheets the you know, monthly performance and weekly um weekly ledgers and we're used to responding much quicker than what typical government agencies respond at and um The city manager is also the city engineer, the public works director, the water department director, and I'm the planning department, building department. There are only you know three guys at the top, the top level in this policy group, and um, we essentially every morning sit around a coffee with the department heads, the three guys, and, and four or five other supervisors and that's where policy gets made so we're we're very very adaptive very quick you know, i mean we we got the the street superintendent says hey i'm going to dig up a street we can say that here's what we need because the fire guy needs an extension of fiber to this this cabinet or um you know, these, these things happen in real time we, we really haven't had the time to to go back and develop policies we're too busy doing <laughs> so so you pretty much adapt on the fly then is what you're saying. It, we we adapt every morning at seven o'clock around the conference table. And <laughs> it, it 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 sounds silly but it really happens that quickly. Well, you know, there's never a dull moment that way. That's um and it's highly productive. You know, we're mm-hmm. we don't waste time with with interdepartmental rivalries is you know, is a huge advantage that we have over you know, in any larger organization, and there, there's always that that little bit of friction and um, challenge that comes with once you get start to get a little bit of a bigger operation. Mm-hmm. Do you have someone who uh, I know you say you do more than just track, you know, the, the like developments, things that are happening within the the healthcare community and so forth, but within the city, do you have a, a process that tracks and quantifies? the various economic impacts. And I ask this question because uh, as new cities jump on board this whole broadband arena, there is a, um, a hue and cry for better numbers, you know, better stats. How can I justify this? So forth and so on. And my reply is often, you know, the, this kind of data is being collected and you have to give the, you know, the greater world at large more time to to gather this data, right? Because not everybody had started when Loma Linda and Santa Monica and some of the other pioneers started. But that being said, are you, um, you know, are you uh, collecting that kind of data that someone could look at and say, well, you know, we did X and it produced Y. You know, we made these changes and we brought in this technology and we're now realizing A, B, and C in terms of uh, benefits. Is that kind of work being done? 
Um, not not at that level. We're you know, like I said, we're a little we're too busy doing, not busy and that's that is one of our shortcomings, not busy enough tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things we can say though cuz you know, another hat I've got is the economic development director. And I can say that we have, you know, the holiday in in town that we stole from a neighboring city. I mean, I went out and stole them and convinced them they need to come here not next door because of the fiber network and they can increase their occupancy by catering to the the hospitality needs of our patients. Uh, A hotel is worth about $300,000 a year in occupancy tax. Um, The veterans, our our veterans uh, administration is building a 350,000 square foot clinic um, that's worth millions of dollars to us in property taxes um, uh, up front and you know a couple hundred thousand every year in recurring property taxes that was slated to go into another city that we convinced them that being on this network is advantageous to their operation. So to say you know the the value of doing this is that not necessarily, but we can point to specific projects that have a dollar value. Mm-hmm. It comes back to you know that that municipal question. What's what's the return on investment on a sidewalk, or uh, you know, a, a landscaping a median in a road? There is there is a return, but how do you measure that? Mm-hmm. Um, to you know, to the value of the community. So, do you think there will ever be um, more quantitative, you know, detail quantitative than that? Or will most community stories of success revolve around, um, you know, specific stories and anecdotes more so than predictable uh, quantitative numbers? I think as, you know, you, know you, you named Santa Monica and a couple of other communities, we were all kind of in that early phase where there were a handful of people kind of more personality driven than project driven you know a handful of people that had a vision had a drive and and saw a need in the community and found that base to express that need now as we're becoming more mature and it really becomes that chance to lay that metric over it and i think in the next five or seven years we are going to start seeing some of those metrics fall into place um, you know it's not you know, I guess if you go back to the early days of the railroad, there were some pretty big personalities that put in the railroads. But once they were in, there were, you know, business operations people that measured and quantified those values for them. And I think we're getting as an industry to that point where that kind of guy has huge value to these networks that are already up and running and quantify for the next generation of what what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So there's this, so I would then take from that it is still um, advisable to tell communities at the outset of their involvement or the outset of their launch of a project that their research is really going to come down to gathering stories, gathering examples, trying to find parallels as in communities that are parallel, similar to theirs, and they achieved X, so we can expect to receive X benefit as well. Um, 
Yes, part of it, and the other part is, um, you know, a community by community analysis. As you can, you don't even need the the example, but if you're a community whose bread and butter is warehousing, you can figure out a way that this this will support will or will not support warehousing or a port or your particular manufacturing or whatever that that community's core business is. How do you support it? Um, and whether or not you can or cannot make the case for that. So I, I think it comes back to, at least in the short term, having the, the guys in the community know their community and know what will work. And um, you know, it's very possible that these things will be tra tailored more and more to community-specific needs. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Rather than it's, rather than a one-size-fits-all. You know, here you go. Um, you know, we we now have broadband. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things, you know, as I, as I think about numbers and who wants to, you know, grab a hold of numbers and so forth, it's interesting that um, Danville, Virginia, which was pretty much in a similar uh, state of economic desperateness as Loma Linda in '09 also had 19 or 20 percent unemployment as did you guys and they went through major you know retooling of their community with a heavy emphasis i would say on on health care as well um and have received similar uh reductions in unemployment i mean they're running at eight point something or nine and you said earlier uh, today that you know you guys are about nine um, is there what can we draw from that because that's a fairly dramatic uh, reduction of unemployment how much of that can we realistically put on you know uh, the back of the broadband infrastructure and resulting projects um, I think First, because it's healthcare, a fairly large percentage of that is because uh, the, the unemployment in healthcare has rebounded. You know, healthcare has rebounded so quickly in the the last few years, and you know, dipped dipped and then came back up fairly quickly. Um, you know, part of that also is is that the healthcare technology is changing so quickly that a community that does not support that technological change will ultimately ultimately lose those those healthcare jobs you know you you'll still have the community hospital but those regional centers that um you know like Loma Linda that are, and other regional communities they're going to lose out on that because you can't keep that that technological edge and attract those type of of people to your city so mm -hmm. it's, it's a mix. It's uh, I don't uh, I think the broadband is what keeps that healthcare component healthy and competitive because ultimately healthcare is a competitive market. So it's not fiber but it's a mix of other things. It's it's a mix of other things and fiber is a big part of that mix. Yes. Mhm. Mm okay. And I think that's you know, again, looking at other communities, 
that's a fair assessment of, of things. And, you know, where, where you kind of go um, next. Now, what other businesses are there besides uh, healthcare, the hospitals and the medical facilities? Is there something akin to a, I don't know, an infrastructure or an ecosystem of businesses that go along with that? Or do you have other, you know, businesses that might be, you know, a credible second place, you know, after healthcare is X industry or, you know, Y industry or what have you? Um, is health, we have health cares, um, car dealerships, and then the hospitality that's tied to health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and part of, part of what we've done, you know, and our car dealers are a big segment of our economy for, for the city from a sales tax basis. Um, you know, with the fiber network, uh, we've we've been able to extend the the city security cameras. Um, it sounds kind of kind of silly, but we're all on the same phone switch. So by everybody sharing the cost, the the, the car dealerships in the city and a couple of the schools on the phone switch, we're reducing everybody's operating costs. So we're helping those businesses in town kind of help. We're helping their margin. Um, and mm-hmm. we couldn't do that with without the network. Uh, you know, we we already talked about hospitality and how important that is to you know the the main industry. But we, you know, we are a, unfortunately a one industry town. Mm-hmm. Now, given the predominance of of healthcare, um, does the does the network enable the um, the Loma Linda healthcare industry to reach far beyond its boundaries in terms of the services that it delivers or the people that it pulls in to get their medical services from those uh, Loma Linda facilities? Um, yes. In, in two respects, you know, it's, it's allowed the, the major institutions to open up some satellite um, some satellite campuses and satellite hospitals um, outside of town to serve people on a you know on a more regional area the the main hospital and the veterans hospital by land area cover one fifth of California as their catchment area mm-hmm. so to have these have these satellite air you know clinical services is vital to providing that that service um, on the other side we've kind of, we've Extended the network to just outside the city limits. You know, probably about a mile each side into neighboring cities as projects came up. Um, what that's what it's done is, is we've been able to move some of those administrative services that are taking up healthcare space into places that you know have office buildings that we you know we don't have the typical tower office building anywhere in the city. But we've extended to you know, our, our neighboring city that has that. So, you know, the, the administrative, the office billing, the medical records, all those guys, they're they're working in the neighboring city so that we can focus on delivering that health care. You know, it has traffic imp- implications for traffic, and you know, also focusing on what we do. Mm-hmm. So, and the other portion that is you know, getting these office guys out is, um, you know, this is a, a high, 
high desirable area as far as a physician's office and an address. They want to be in the city um, to the point that our commercial space is you know, filled with, with doctor's offices and we can't get any retail customers to fill those spaces. And uh, you know, a typical retail store you know, moves into a shopping center and lasts five, seven, ten years and then somebody else moves in. Well, a, a doctor gets out of doctor school moves in when he's 30 and leaves when he's 75 and that revenue tax you know sales tax producing space is tied up for all those years mm-hmm. so creating some office space outside of the the commercial area that's desirable for those doctors to go to has been um, you know vital for us to uh to work on our, our economic base and create a, a retail environment that makes sense for for the city. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the residential side of things. Um, this and this is actually what uh, caught my attention um, in that uh, article that I read about Loma Linda because the premise of the post seemed to be that um, you were able to get um, the infrastructure incorporated into new buildings, but getting it into the old buildings was a bit of a a challenge. You know, my first question is, um, even though the article made it seem like, you know, without the private sector, this wouldn't be possible, weren't you, in fact, selling or partnering with developers and so forth to um, extend, to in essence be your customers, right? I mean, they were taking and building, con- or building, well, actually, you tell me. I'm, I'm, I don't want to speak for you. How did this actually mechanically happen? Who was, you know, what were the component pieces here? So uh, on the new construction, we, you know, by, by building code, we require fiber to the home and structured cabling and new construction. And... In that realm, we had a developer build attractive homes in the city and attractive homes right on the outside, on the other side of the city line, essentially. Identical product in every respect except for one had the structured cabling, one did not. Um, When the, the housing crash came through, that developer in in the city was able to sell out his product, um, you know, months faster than the, the outside the city, and they were also able to upsell as as far as um, amenities to the the house, additional speakers, additional cabling, additional infrastructure. You know, just like when you buy a new house, you get better carpet or better tile. They also upsold the. The, the communications infrastructure in those houses to where they were making about $10,000 more per house in the city than they were across the street outside the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the, on the new side, um, the, the developers have bought into this and, and we're not getting pushback on that. Our, you know, our real challenge is, is to getting to those existing houses that um, you know, they've been there for 10, 20, 30 years and to bring that fiber to the house and get into the house. Um, and we've gone, we've tried some micro-trenching that, that's really helped us drive the cost down um, in a couple of neighborhoods. Um, you know, but we're still, 
somewhere in, in the two thousand dollar, fifteen hundred to two thousand to even twenty five hundred dollar a, a house um, cost to connect. And at the the you know the price of broadband, it's really challenging to do that in, on broadband alone. Mm-hmm. Now the the mechanics of this though is that the city sells in essence fiber to the developers so that they can make the or, or you sell some part of the infrastructure to the developers so that when they build a house, physically build a house, they run the cable in and then somewhere they get someone turns on the services and that's how the homeowner gets the actual access to the internet. But at the base of it all it's still coming back to your network is is selling services or selling infrastructure to developers who in turn use that to basically make their property more valuable and more sellable. Um, we, we require them to put it in. And what's put in is essentially vendor neutral. The, I mean, we require that they put our fiber to the house the same as we require that they put a telephone line to the house and mm-hmm. cable TV to the house. Once we get into the house, who's plugged into that structured cabling is in, up to the homeowner. We don't right. cold it's a Right, becomes your issue. Yep. So, um, but it is you know it is a requirement they that they do build that, and then it's up to up to us to compete with the phone company and the ta- cable company on a level playing field on who provides the service that those residents want. Mm-hmm. But then where do the $2,000 come in? I mean, is that what the owner pays to the developer or what the developer pays to you? No, that's what those are on. The $2,000 is on an existing house, so not not a new house. You buy a house that's 10 years old. Right. And for us to build to you is, you know, is about $2,000 per per house. Okay. Which is pretty much what I'm hearing, say, in Utopia, which is the project up in Utah, where they sell um, they they sell the the fiber line to the home, but they also give customers the option to pay for it on time and you know through some sort of financing arrangement, which then makes it all more palatable and easier to sell. Um, yeah. Yes. And we have, you know, we tried that, and we haven't had a lot of traction with the homeowners. Just as, as you know, coming to a homeowner and saying, "For two thousand dollars, we'll bring you uh, fiber to get services that you already, in one flavor or another, get." Um, probably not as well because you're on DSL or cable, but it's good enough for it to struggle through. Mm-hmm. So what what we're probably seeing in the future, and, and I'm, I'm projecting, not you know, guessing more than anything else, is that good enough is not going to be good enough in a couple of years, because mm-hmm. we're seeing our our band our bandwidth demand per residence is skyrocketing, and you know we're attributing that to um, you know. Every house has, you know, at least in our city, has a couple of kids, and everybody's on YouTube and Hulu and Netflix and um, you know streaming something and watching something, and it's gobbling all that bandwidth. And it's to the point now that DSL is not good enough for those guys, and mm-hmm. the cable modem is not good enough. 
And so what I'm anticipating is that in the next couple of years, we're going to start seeing these homeowners come back to us and saying, look, we're we're not getting what we need, and it's worth it's worth two thousand dollars to uh, to to bring that to my house. Okay, so they're going to reach a point where there is no viable option or alternative than fiber because the demand is just going to be too great. I mean, and you have the basic physical limitation: cable and fiber will only deliver what it can deliver, and that's not going to ever change, really, or probably won't change. And so, you know, what that leaves, you know, folks with as well, you know, we either continue to suffer in the quality or we go with somebody who has fiber, in which case then that becomes the, the city. Let me ask this question, and this has been a burning question among a number of folks that I've talked to, which is, is it totally, absolutely necessary for a city owner of a network or community or utility or whomever to have to offer triple play services in order for the business to survive. Is it not possible that, you know, I, the operator, can say, you know what, I will, I will deliver you the basic cable, as in the physical cable, but you're going to have to buy cable services from someone else. Like, can I not do that and, and, and do well as a business, or am I doomed to have to you know, provide that triple play? I don't know. Um, we're hoping that we don't have to provide the triple, a, triple play to be successful. Um, you know, we've looked at some other options with, you know, providing, providing that service through different vendors. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time a lot of time with uh, one of the satellite vendors and seeing how you know we can partner with them and provide that service and they run into some franchising and and um, you know regulatory issues but I think the entire market on how uh, uh, you know the the definitely video and, and TV and and the, the entire entertainment component is delivered is going to change in the next few years radically and that's probably going to change the need for the the triple play component I, you know I, I just look at how many people are not you know you're pulling all your you're pulling all your movies all your TV all your everything else off the internet from someplace already and the need for that cable provider is is dropping and at some point there's value to just having that internet connection. I think we're getting to that point. Mm -hmm. And are we also at a point really where um, if you look at the technology progression, everything is being reduced to zeros and ones, and, which I think is really what you're alluding to, is that at a point all of this stuff is going to be deliverable across the internet. So if I have a gigabit cable, or if I have a 10 gig backhaul, you know, the world of, you know, the digital cable, ones and zeros, is going to just basically evolve my way. It's just the way things are going. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with you. And the, the kind of leading example is terrestrial telephone lines. Mm -hmm. you, know, um, but, you know, we've seen cell phones pretty much some of us dinosaurs still have a phone in the house, but you know, there's, 
there's lots and lots of people that don't, you know, just don't have terrestrial telephone because, the, you know, that cell phone has filled that niche adequately. And I agree with you. I think that ones and zeros, once we finally get to that point, that niche will be filled by anybody that provides the, the ability to get those ones and zeros from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So last question, and we've got about three minutes left here. Uh, as we wind down, the, um, the, the punchline, the thing that I found, I guess, most objectionable about the article I read about you guys was uh, the, the line that says, you know, basically um, communities, cities are not able to run a profitable fiber infrastructure, you know, business. And yesterday I asked you the question, you know, and, and, and you told me that, you know, as a business, your network breaks even. But as a valued asset to the community, it's almost priceless in terms of the benefits that you get. Uh, am I mischaracterizing, or have I hit really the business, you know, situation on the head with that? From the municipal standpoint, you're 100% right. You know, on the business model, we we break even. I think the city subsidizes the network for somewhere under $100,000 a year, which on the mm-hmm. grand scheme is not that much. Um, and for that, we get you know, some of the net, we get all the internet and, and data capacity that the network provides for free. So we essentially are our own customer mm-hmm. for that price. But we certainly could not do the things we're doing on the infrastructure side um, I mean, we just could not do it, and the only way to to do that is go out and lease T1s or lease DSLs to you know a dozen well sites and and half a dozen storage tanks and traffic you know phone lines to traffic signals and all these these old ways we used to do it, and you know we're looking at tens and tens of thousands of dollars uh, a month. Um, to, for that, you know, recurring cost. So, the value to us, just on an operational standpoint, if we had to pay for what we're using, uh, we're ahead. And then the things we're able to do puts us that much farther ahead. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't see the city functioning the way it functions today without that fiber optic network. We we could not from a municipal service delivery standpoint. Right. And, and that pretty much, in conclusion, comes to my point that, you know, the value, the profitability, if you will, of these networks, you have to look at a range of things in order to truly identify where the ROI is. And in many cities, the ROI will be much greater uh, than people estimate if you just use a, you know, a bean counter Wall Street approach to business accounting. I want to I want to thank you, uh, Conrad, for being with us and you know giving us all this insight about how Loma Linda has done what it has done. I will continue to keep tabs on you guys probably a little more frequently because I think the last time I talked to anyone there at the city was '07, so it has been a while. We won't make it so long the next time, but uh, great. We look forward to talking to you. All righty, uh, and to our audience, thank you once again for uh, checking in with us. Uh, Tomorrow we're going to be on the air again talking about the uh, top seven intelligent cities in the world, not just the U.S., but in the world. So be on the lookout. That's the show to see tomorrow. 
Everyone have a great day, and we'll talk to you again soon.